Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Father, um, we, we are here in your presence, and we were made to be right here, or we were made to be in community worshiping you. Uh, this is just one of the many ways that you invite us to worship you and be changed. And uh, Lord, again, I just ask you to keep your promises. You say that your word will never return void. It will always accomplish the purposes for which you send it. And so I ask you to accomplish your good purposes for your people tonight, for every single person in this room, including me, uh, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts in the deepest places and change us and ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, hey, welcome. I'm Matt Avery. I'm the pastor here at Midtown West. And uh, we are in a, this is our second week of a, a sermon series called Singing the Story. This is our Advent series. And if you are new to church, um, that word Advent might be strange to you, but it, it just means coming. And so when Christians celebrate the Advent season, we celebrate Jesus' coming. We look back at Jesus coming in the fulfillment of all of this prophecy of the one who would come, and he did, and God kept his promises, and, and he was born into the world. Um, and now we look forward. We are still a people who are waiting on Jesus' coming. We are celebrating his first coming. We are looking forward to his second coming when he will return and take all of his people to himself and, and make all things new. And so uh, this year, uh, our spin on the Advent series is, uh, we're calling it Singing the Story. And so we're looking at four very common Christian worship songs for the, the Christmas season, and we're exploring um, what are these songs really saying? We may have, if you grew up in church, you may have sung these words a thousand times, um, but what are we really talking about? And so tonight, our, our song is, O Come All Ye Faithful. And I just think about that title, and I would ask you just to, to think about what, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear that phrase, O come all ye faithful. And I, and I think uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is actually feels like a barrier. Feels like um, you're only invited to come if you are very faithful. And if you are the one who is keeping faith and you are the one who is doing all the right things and pleasing God and doing the things that God wants you to do, um, then you are the one who can come and celebrate. And so there, I mean, there is an element of truth to that. There, there is this truth that like God is going to do something in his people um, that is going to, to cause them to lean in and to, to be his. And so that is true, but there's also this other context for this phrase, come, oh, come all ye faithful. And um, that's what the life of Anna, this, this passage that we're going to look at tonight, um, she is helping us understand this, this other context of what is meant by that phrase, which is um, that there's something here for those who are leaning in. Um, this is a celebration for those who are waiting for this thing to come because, because they are the ones, not because they're qualified, but because they're the ones who are going to enjoy it when it comes because they're the ones that are tuning in and waiting for it. Um, one of my favorite shows of all time is Stranger Things. And if you are just like nerding out on 
whatever your favorite show or, or your favorite series or, or movie series or book series or whatever it is, but it's like you get together with people who are also into that and you talk about when you see Easter eggs or teasers of, of what's coming. Like the next season is coming and then you get excited when you talk to the, uh, that other person about what's coming. And so that's what we're gonna see tonight is this aspect of um, worship is preparing us to be people who are excited when Jesus comes. There's, there's, some, there's some aspect here of um, in order to be the ones who are coming joyfully and triumphantly, um, we're the ones who are, are waiting for this. Because if you're not waiting for this, um, then it's not really good news. And so um, we're going to look at Anna, and it's not really a model. It's not like, hey, look at this woman and be like her. Like, go spend your life in the temple worshiping God night and day. Um, we're not going to leave here saying, go be like Anna, but we're looking at Anna as a case study. She is in a relationship with the same God that we are worshiping. And we are looking at her life to see what, what is God doing in her life? What is he giving her? What is happening? Why does she live her life like this? And so that's where we're going tonight. So first, um, just thinking about this idea of disappointment being a pathway to greater joy. Um, this is an idea that we as Christians need to get very familiar with because if you haven't already experienced it in a myriad of ways, um, this is how God works. So you look at the first verse and a half of this short passage, um, and we get a lot of detail on Anna's life, and a lot of it is just to show that she is a real woman. Um, this is an actual woman who existed. Here's, here's her family. Here's where she came from. She's a prophetess, which means that she had been given the ability by God to speak. He would speak to her, and she would speak to God's people. She was a vessel for his messages, and, and we don't really know what all that looked like for her. She, no scripture was written through her, but there were a lot of prophets um, who were working in those days um, and speaking on behalf of God, and um, she was one of those people. And Luke, I don't know if she would appreciate this, but Luke is very redundant in how old she was. <laughs> In the Greek, he says, uh, it reads like this. She was very old in her many days. I was like, okay, thanks, Luke, we get it. Um, she was a very, very old woman, and she did not have a life that the world would necessarily aspire to. Um, this, this passage, this three verses, is all we know about her, but we know enough to know that this is not a life that people would want. Um, in those days, most people would get married around age 14 or 15, and so if you do the math, um, her husband probably died when she was like 22, and then she was just a widow for the rest of her life. And, and the way that this text reads, um, scholars aren't really sure whether Luke is saying it can go either way. So he's, we're not sure whether Luke is saying she's 84 years old now at the time of this happening, or her husband died and she's been a widow for 84 years. But either way, uh, she is very old, and she has been a widow for a very, very long time for the vast majority of her life. And she was not scrambling to find a husband. She was choosing a life. Her disappointment was actually a gift from God. And it was, it was a pathway to joy. And so... I want y'all to hear from a couple people who know what that life is like. 
first from the Apostle Paul, who never married. And uh, I'm going to paraphrase here in 1 Corinthians 7, but you can go back and read the whole chapter. But he lived his life as a single man, uh, this, this man who wrote uh, a large percentage of the New Testament. He never married. He never participated in romantic love in this world the way that a lot of us will. But listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 7. I wish that everybody was single like I am. To the unmarried and to the widow, I say that it is good for them to remain single. It's good. It will bring you joy. Wow, that's really not how we think about that, is it? To have an undivided heart whose one aim is to know how to be holy in body and spirit and how to please the Lord, your undivided devotion to the Lord, this is the good life. A widow not remarrying will be happier not getting remarried. And when he says that, he says this, and I also think I have the Spirit of God. (laughs) Like, I think I know what I'm talking about. Like, God has spoken to me. I'm writing the New Testament. So I think you can take what I'm saying and trust it. It's trustworthy. There's something here. There's something in Anna's life that she's experiencing that, that we need to she's tapping into something that we need to tap into as well. And don't hear me say with this that um, we're all called to be single. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that we, both married and single people, think about being single, um, I think, very wrongly a lot of times. Because we've, we've allowed our culture to shape the way that we think about this. And I want you to hear from another person who knows about this. This is a, a woman named Mercy, who is an Indian woman who is 90 years old, who lives in Knoxville, Tennessee. She is a faithful sister in Christ. She has been single her whole life. She has an amazing story that I can tell you some other time. But I emailed her this week, and I said, hey, I'm preaching on Anna's story, and I would love to just get your thoughts on what it is to be a woman who is single at the age of 90. And here's, here's some of what she wrote me. She said, one important lesson that has kept me going is whether single or married, widowed or whatever, a Christian woman has the Lord's presence within her. It is not a shame to be a woman who commits her life to the Lord and never marries. Let us who are single never feel sorry for ourselves. A life of prayer and devotion is a gift, blessing everyone around us and blessing us. And then she says, I can vouch for this at age 90. So, to our single people, I say this. Um, I don't know what the Lord has for you. And neither do you. But you don't have to be afraid of it. It's not a test. It's not, you don't have to think the right way or do the right things. It's not a puzzle to work out so that the Lord will give you the life you want. And you don't have to keep arm's distance from him, fearing that if you get too close to him, he's going to turn you into a nun and you'll never marry. That's not who our God is, okay? That's not how he works. Get as close to him as you can and just trust that whatever he is giving you is beautiful. Lean in. And to our married people, I say, as one who is married, um, this is not where your ultimate fulfillment is going to come from. So when you find yourself 
in places where I find myself, which is demanding that my ultimate fulfillment comes from my wife. I need to go back and remember what the Lord's saying. No, 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 no. Whether you are single or married, your ultimate fulfillment is in me always. It's always in me. And so this woman who is a widow, look at the life that she's living. Look at the second half of verse 37. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. When it says she did not depart from the temple, that means that when they would, like, it was time to close the temple, she would actually go hide so they couldn't find her and sleep in the temple. It just means that uh, she was there every time it was open. She, She was just constantly there night and day, Worshiping the Lord in fasting and in prayer. She's worshiping the Lord through fasting and prayer. What does that mean? What is she, what is she doing? Again, what is she, these, these are the tools that God's given her to tap into these, this life that she is. I mean, think about this. She came back every day, every night, every day, all the time for all these years she was finding something fulfilling, right? Otherwise, she would have just stopped. She was always there. And so just a couple thoughts. This is, I don't have time to go into fasting and prayer and, and all, all the things. But one aspect of fasting, it is clarifying our hunger for God. We think that we are hungry for a lot of things. It's the same way that um, thirst works. Like, when I'm really thirsty, that can be masked as hunger, and I can go eat a lot of food, but the reality is I just need water, and that's how our lives are. Um, I can think that I'm hungry for a lot of things. I can think that I'm hungry for sex or success or whatever it is, but I'm really just starving for God, and I won't know that until I stop consuming those other things, and he clarifies that hunger in me, and then She's praying. She is taking all of that clarified desire to him and saying, please show up in my life. Please give me more of you. Please, I'm I'm hungry. The Lord says in one of his Psalms, um, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And she is going with her mouth open saying, Lord, here is who I am. Here is where I am. Here is what I'm asking for. Here is what my desires are today. You are my ultimate desire. So whatever needs to happen, would you just be that and fill me with you? And something is happening as she does this. You know, when I, uh, Hayes is our four-year-old, a few weeks before he was born, I saw a picture of myself, and I had a really great dad flat tire going on, and I was like, oh, no, 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 this is too early for this. And at the time, I was drinking a lot of Cokes and a lot of sweet tea. And so I just said, okay, you know what? I am going to when Hayes is born, I'm going to stop drinking soft drinks and start going to half and half tea. And I I made this change and something amazing started to happen. Um, When I wasn't just consuming all of that intense sugar all the time, my taste buds started to change. And now all of a sudden I found myself things that I didn't, you know, wasn't trying to stay away from. I was staying away from those things because they didn't appeal to me in the same way. And things that I always thought were really gross I started to like now because my taste buds were changing and the Lord was changing me and that is a picture of how worship works for us. You know, we don't just come here to sing to make ourselves feel better. Like all the aspects of this worship are given to us by God 
and are very intentional. And the reason he calls us to come weekly and worship corporately, the reason that he calls us to individual worship with the spiritual disciplines, the reason that we invite y'all, the reason that our last sermon series was on the commandments as pathways to the Lord, the reason we did those really amazing midweek videos where we looked at life-giving rhythms that were so funny and informative, um, this is because this is where life is. This is where, you know, this is one of the places that we're gonna major as Midtown West are these, these rhythms, these spiritual disciplines because we were made for worship in all of its forms. And it changes us. It changes us. It changes what we're hungry for. It changes what we're thirsty for. It allows us to enjoy food that is really healthy and really good instead of just eating a sack full of crystals. <laughs> if you know what crystals is. Some of you don't. <laughs> a lot of you don't. It's food that's bad for you, okay? Um, but so you have to ask this question. Is this kind of life only a life for lonely widows who have no social life and nothing better to do? And we, we don't even get out of Luke's gospel without seeing that the answer to that is no. Because the very last verse of Luke's gospel, we see is the scene where Jesus has ascended, or excuse me, he's, he has been resurrected from the dead, and he's about to ascend to the Father, and he's talking to his followers. And then it says, when he ascends to the Father, the disciples left there and were continually in the temple blessing God. Jesus' closest followers those who are going to be on the move, those who are going to be on mission and traveling around and spreading the gospel and at the forefront of the church of God being established, they were doing the exact same thing Anna was doing. And there's something else that worship does. It, it actually transforms your present moment through the future. And here's what I mean by this. When I was a kid, pretty much anything south of my whole losing my whole family uh, anything that happened to me on December 1st was totally fine because Christmas was on December 25th so I don't care what happened I don't care if I got a bad grade in school I don't care if I was disappointed about something you know as I got older if I asked a girl out and she said no I, I didn't care about any of that because Christmas was coming and I knew it was coming December 25th nothing was going to stop it and so the way that I thought about Christmas in the months and the weeks leading up to Christmas actually changed my present. December 1st was different because I knew that December 25th was coming. December 1st, I was filled with joy because I knew the joy that was coming on December 25th. I didn't know exactly what kind of joy. I didn't know what I was going to get. I didn't know exactly what kind of memories I was going to have with my family as we did all of our traditions. But I just knew it was going to be good. So that totally transformed my present. And you say, yeah, Matt, but we know that Christmas is coming for sure. We also know that Jesus is returning for sure. Isaiah 52, 7 through 9 says this. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. 
Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. And Isaiah wrote that about 650 years before Jesus was born, and we stand approximately 2,000 years after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, waiting for him to return, and that still hasn't been fully fulfilled yet. But it will be. Isaiah also says in 48, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And I used to hear that, and and I missed a, a big part of what he was saying there. The grass and the flower are things that I can see and touch today. They feel very real to me. But in the scheme of eternity, they are almost unreal because of how fleeting they are. And, and this promise that's coming, Jesus' return, is so everlasting that it is more real today, even though I can't fully experience it, than the things around me that I can fully experience with my five senses. And so as we grow in maturity in worship, it stretches our ability to live the future joy and perfection of what's coming into today. It's, it's not only a practicing, but it's also a, it's like practice, I mean, it's like a working out. We are, we are being matured, we are being deepened, we are being grown, we are being stretched. Our abilities to bring that future into now are being expanded. Our souls are being expanded. So here's a question for us. Since we are a hopelessly worshiping people, um, we, are, we are worshiping creatures. I, I don't care what you believe about God or what your life looks like, you, you are worshiping always because you can't escape it. You and I were made in God's image and we are always worshiping something or someone. And so here's a question for us. How does what you are waiting and hoping for, how is that shaping your present? What kind of person are you becoming because of the thing or the person or the whatever that you are waiting on and hoping in today? And the answer to that question will tell you how worthy this thing is in putting your hope in. Because if you haven't already, you will find that this Jesus and his returning is the only thing worth putting your hope in. Putting your hope and waiting for other, any other thing will make you into somebody that you don't want to become. It will shape your present in a very poor way. So this worshiping woman, uh, this passage, we were doing this a little bit out of order. The passage right before this, you can read it, uh, is Simeon and his experience of the Lord saying to him, uh, I will not let you die until you see the Messiah. And then Jesus is brought into the temple. Simeon sees him. Anna sees all of this. And this is what prompts her in verse 38. Coming up at this very hour when she sees Jesus and Simeon, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. It says that she began to speak of him, Jesus, to all, not to all, but to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. 
You know, going back to our song, Oh, come all ye faithful. I have good news for you who are waiting. I don't have good news for everybody because some of y'all don't care. Some of y'all are waiting on something else. But for those of you who are waiting for God to send his Savior to his people, I've got really good news for you because he is here. And we can celebrate together. Think of, uh, I was thinking about that this week, and I just think about if you've ever experienced this, uh, or even if you haven't, you can picture it. It's like two lovers who are separated because somebody has to be in a faraway country for some reason. And while they're apart, they're writing letters back and forth. They're calling back and forth. And there's a, there's a deep desire to be with this person. There's a deep longing to be with this person. And that longing grows as they get to know each other more through this communication, through these letters, through these calls, through this, you know, whatever, all of this communication. And, and while this person is going on about their life and this, this other person is away, um, they can meet a lot of other people that they might date or they, you know, might be interested in, but they're not because their heart is fully devoted to this person that they're waiting on. They meet a lot of people who are really attractive or really funny or really interesting, but it just doesn't matter because their, their heart is focused on this person who they are waiting, they're awaiting their return. And that is when their joy is gonna be fulfilled. And so if you have that scenario and, and one of the people just starts dating a bunch of other people, um, that's not really gonna be there's no waiting going on. There's no active waiting going on. And when this other person returns, it's, it's really not going to be that exciting because um, their heart was somewhere else. They were, they, they were putting their hope in something else. We are a community of people who are waiting for Jesus to return. And so what does that mean for us? What implications does that have for Midtown West and Nashville, Tennessee in 2020? One, it means that we take worship very seriously uh, in all of its forms, corporate and personal. We're going to be an abiding people, as Jesus says in, in John 15. Um, we will continue to meet on Thursdays to pray. We will continue to find ways to lead our people into deeper rhythms of worship with Jesus. It also means that we're in touch with our longing. And that we, we are learning how to bring that longing to Jesus instead of placing it on other people. We're, we're learning to have eyes to see that actually behind this other thing that I want or this other person that I want, um, I'm really just longing for Jesus. And so when I know what to do with that longing, I don't crush other people with that longing. You know, Luke 23, 51 talks about another person who's waiting, Joseph of Arimathea. He was a, a rich man um, who it says was good and righteous. And he's described as somebody who is looking for the kingdom of God. He's just talking about his, not, not a day that he went out in a field and started looking for a kingdom of God. He's talking about his whole life. And so no matter where we find ourselves, no matter what callings God has given you, what your day-to-day -day looks like, that we are a people who are looking for the kingdom of God and, and everything we do everywhere we go. And we're not the only ones who are waiting and looking and hoping and longing. We actually have a savior uh, who knows what it is to wait. We have a Jesus who um, endured, endured 
being born, the humiliation of being born as a person in sinful flesh, who endured suffering as he went to the cross to take our sin. Um, All this time, think about the day to day to day of his life on earth of just waiting. And then even now, as he's ascended, he's with the Father, it says in Hebrews 10, 12, and 13, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. So even now, he is the lover of our souls who is waiting for us the same way that we are waiting for him. And not just Jesus, but also the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 25 and 26 says, but if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what we should pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings. Groanings that are too deep for words. The Spirit is also longing for that day when Jesus returns to be with us and us with him and everything to be set right. We serve a waiting God and we are a waiting people. And God tells us in his word that none who wait for the Lord shall be put to shame. That is our sure hope this Advent season. Um, And so... So this week, since we're talking about being shaped by worship, I've asked um, Shannon, one of, one of my friends, one of our Midtown Westers, to come and share uh, a little bit about what it's been like for her to be a part of these Thursday um, times of corporate prayer. Hey, um, I'm Shannon, and um, we've been part of Midtown for six years, and Midtown West has been um, an answered prayer to our family because we live beyond west of Nashville. So... Um, Yeah, thanks for being here. And um, Matt asked me to talk about what God has given me or how he has blessed me through our Thursday morning prayer. And the one word I came up with was just connected, connectedness, um, being connected to God's people, to his word, and to himself. So I'm the type of person that if I'm going to get to know you, I would rather be out hiking in the woods doing a serve project, but just about anything than sitting in a chair and a table looking at you. Um, So joining prayer team was definitely intimidating um, because we're sitting, not looking at each other, but that's all there is to it, (laughs) no action. So um, it was intimidating, but I, I had this deep longing to just know people, and I don't wanna know you know, what your day was like on a surface level. I really want to know who you are, and I want people to know me in that way as well. So gathering at 6 a.m. when people are, when I uh, have woken up about 10 minutes before 6, rolled out of bed, opened the computer, has a really magical way of bringing raw human beings together. And um, I come tired and groggy, and those are the first words out of my mouth. How are you? Not awake. Um, But I always leave renewed and refreshed and with that sense of knowing that I'm loved and I'm cared for and forgiven, and I have all the power that I need to walk forward that day to do really simple but really hard tasks of being a mom teaching, um, and loving and serving my family. Uh, When I hear the honest prayers of the people that join us for prayer, 
I got lost. Um, hear their honest prayers and what God is revealing to them, it tears down the walls of self-protection that I put up for myself. And it helps me to be brave and open up and share what God has put on my heart. And that has been probably how I've grown the most and how God has blessed me is just helping me tear down um, all the walls that I put up because it's intimidating and uh, scary for me to speak uh, to people on a deep level. And so, um, I didn't know anybody when we started because it was COVID and it was Zoom. And uh, so even without knowing these people, I definitely know the people in our prayer team better than probably anybody else I've met in the six years of being um, with Midtown. And it's kind of silly because we don't really recognize each other really well, but we walked in this morning and was greeted by several of our prayer team people and just felt loved and welcomed. So as we, as we read and pray together, God's word also comes alive to me and works its way into, into my thoughts and my actions. And I'm reminded of who God is and that God knows um, that my faith is tiny and unsure, but he is so faithful. And I'm hoping that as I lean into prayer more and more, um, that I'll begin to pray with greater expectation of God meeting those prayers and working in my life. Father, uh, you are you're a God who longs for us, and uh, we ask you to grow our longing for you uh, so that we could taste the life that we were made for. Lord, um, I ask you to uh, bless us with more of you as we continue to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.